0: Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about
1: finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
0: Sure.
2: Chef Emily. And hot Chef Emily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, broadcasting to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You would think after 126 episodes, I would get that right, that start
1: right at the end of the theme song there. But you I would didn't. think after, like, 270 episodes, I would have a, my own theme song <laughs> with my name in it, but shoot, I need to get on that. Joining me live God. in the studio is Kathy Irway,
2: Heritage Radio's
1: own host of
2: Feast... Your, no, Eat Your Words. I knew I was going <laughs> to do that. I knew I was going to do that. It's okay. Eat Your Words, which is a very you. clever... <laughs> it lends itself to a theme song. Well, We'll get there, hopefully. I... Uh, when I found out that I was going to have this radio show, I reached out to a very good friend of my husband's who uh, has gone on to cre- to quite some internet superstardom, but will still answer our emails. And I was like, hey, do you want to – would you, like, have is five minutes? Is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. And he was like, yeah. And did it, like, on the road when he was on tour. Do I need so. to
1: get a husband first, and then I can have the friend? No, no, then, no. Okay. You have to get the ah, friend. I think the right. friend. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but to, this is a big thank you to Peter Shukoff for this sharp and hot. I don't do. I don't thank him enough. So okay. thank you to Peter. Um Kathy, you are joining me for a couple of reasons, one of which I love you very much. I think you're incredibly smart, and I really enjoy talking to you.
1: Thank you. The, <laughs> the other
2: is I made my last year, uh, last year, last week, if you are binge listening to this show and you just finished listening to episode number 125, I said I had made a resolution that I was going to promote the guest that was going to be on the following week. And in the week that has passed, the person who I promoted got a better offer <laughs> Which is fine. Fu- I mean, she got asked to be on The View and they flew her out to L.A. And I can't. Wow. I can't fault a girl for saying, yeah, hmm. national television broadcast audience. and So here I am. Here you are. And I'm so <laughs> excited because we left a Heritage Radio Network event a few weeks ago and ended up in a conversation on the subway. That is a subject that I think about a lot. You are also an expert in the field of food writing. So I'm going to. We'll start with the meteor topic, okay,
1: and then we'll move into the food and fiction, which is a panel you Good. just led
2: at Food Book Fair. Which yeah, I to
1: talk about. and I love how like the most passionate discussions always happen when you have to get off the I know. next stop. <laughs> so so we'll we'll like, take up from there. It happened to me yesterday yeah. in an elevator. Mm-hmm. I wrote up. I was like, oh, well, I'll just ride up with you. Okay, then, we'll, we'll finish this yeah. conversation later, and I'll probably
2: never see that person mm-hmm. again. Or you know, we'll I'm see glad each other. We did this. Like, oh yeah. So the topic of conversation started because I have a friend on Facebook who had posted a plea to other friends who were maybe not in the food writing or food content producing world to not share video that they couldn't identify the origin of the recipe that was being created. And I, you know, I'm thinking about this now. I probably should have called her because that would have been a good person to talk to also. Well, so she wasn't on the subway, which is why I wanted to talk to you.
1: Yeah. Just to clarify. So this is somebody commenting on other sort of video blogs or vloggers making recipes from who knows what. Yes. That's the issue. Okay.
2: So the question is, if you are someone who makes your living writing recipes, Mm -hmm. which cannot by nature be owned, you can't copyright a recipe. Can you, as someone who is creating video content, use recipes that have been made free by recipe writers who have put them up on their personal blogs?
1: Well, I think the big question is, did she invent it? Because I, I think that it should be in, assumed that if you do not credit it to another source, that it is your own creation. But I So guess- how
2: far does it, what, at this point, what constitutes a truly original, invented recipe?
1: Um, if you don't say that it's something someone else's. So if I say it's my
2: macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. how do I know? Like, how is that? I, if I make up um, strawberry macaroni and cheese mm-hmm. and I can do a Google search on strawberry macaroni and cheese and there's no other strawberry macaroni and cheese out there, maybe for very good reasons, mm-hmm. um, then I can say that that's Emily's strawberry macaroni and cheese if I say it's just regular macaroni and cheese and it's Emily's macaroni and cheese Mm -hmm. how do we know it's my macaroni and cheese
1: because you wrote it and it is something that you made and you originally yeah it's like how do I know it's my poem you know it's it's something you wrote I mean on my blog I only post original recipes and it's it's you know, very possible that There's many similar recipes out there Because people think alike Everybody likes mac and cheese, right? So people have similarities um, It's actually entirely possible To be almost identical to another recipe, right? But as long as you Say, say you created it um, And you didn't knowingly uh, Use any other sources to make that I mean, obviously in the back of your head Maybe you, you obviously like living in the world like we've we like absorb what we've learned over the time um, but you can't really say that it's absolutely credited to one source then it, it's yours so I
2: guess I come down on this like then the the I sort of like uh, on the <clears throat> full other end of the spectrum which is like if you're putting it out into the public eye and someone picks it up and runs with it mm-hmm you put it out in the public eye. And yeah. I know that that's like a slippery slope argument, which I don't love, but I sort of feel like, you know, if somebody goes to my, so it's not It's not dead, it's still there, but I have a food blog called The Gourmand and the Peasant, on mm-hmm. which are five years worth of recipes and writing and things that sort of got me through a rough point in my life that I love very much. And somebody makes like my chocolate chip cookie recipe. Yeah.
1: I'm not, I am I can't be upset you, about that. You can't. You really can't. But there are... Like, there are ethics put in place that you should follow. I mean, when, you know, food blogging first started uh, becoming a formalized thing, I remember there's all these conferences where we tried to establish these ethics. And one of them, well, for instance, if, if you're gifted a product by a company, you should say it. Another one, a big one, is that if you are adapting a recipe or straight up making a recipe from another source, you should credit it. Ideally with a link if it exists unless it's a book or something like that and you just say the whole name and the author and so forth But yes, it's entirely possible that people do not take that step
2: and I I so I work with a lot of college students. Today was my last day of teaching for the semester. It feels very Congrats. Good. Thank school's you. School's out. Oh, school's out for summer. I have to grade and get my grades in, but I'm like, I feel a little giddy. Like, mm-hmm. And it's also like 45 and raining in New York City right now, so it's a little hard to be like, super excited for summer break. But it is true. Um, but a lot of the students are graduating and looking for work. And one of them in particular had a run-in with a uh, food website that mm-hmm. was super excited to interview her, asked for a sample of her food writing, which okay. she provided. She didn't get the job, but they were super excited to tell her that they were already making her work into a video that they were going to use on the site.
1: Well, that's a compliment, but okay, are they going to... I mean, did she have a platform with nope. which they can credit her? That's a problem. Nope. Okay. Yeah, she's, you know, she's
2: talented and she's smart, and she was like, kind of heartbroken and as it turns out this uh this online content food content provider uh is this is they don't pay their content providers they don't pay their food writers to make recipes up that they will then translate into video
1: is she upset yes because i almost think that's sort of like a compliment i mean at this point she doesn't stand to make any profit from it anyway, right? She wasn't trying to make a profit. It's kind of like saying, this is my grandma's recipe, right? Or this is my best friend's way of making deviled eggs. And you're you're kind of... I mean, it would be nice if the publication were to kind of give that... Like, allude to who, who it came from. But... I don't know. I didn't know what to tell her. I'm it's a compliment. Of like, I,
2: you know, I had, a, I had a similar experience where I developed what I think is an original recipe. I would not seen it anywhere else. I was paid by a company to develop recipes. Like if you flip over right. the back and you see a recipe printed for the product in the grocery store, they paid to have a media event, and members of the food media came, and there were little samples of everything that I had made so that they would write about how great it was. And it, one of the things that I made that was a brand-new recipe was printed in the pages of a particular food publication the following wow. season.
1: But you were paid as the recipe developer. For that
2: product, but then the recipe was reused without any reference to where it came from, without referencing the product either. It was but independent they, of the product.
1: They sort of bought the rights to it, it sounds like. By paying you to commission the recipe development. The
2: person who reprinted it in the magazine was a guest at the event that was for, let's call it, um, Heritage Radio Network Cheese Product. So I was paid by Heritage Radio Network Mm. Cheese Product to develop five recipes. Heritage Radio Network Cheese Product also hosted a party, a guest of the party had one of my recipes and then took that recipe back home with them and published it in their magazine with no reference to myself as the recipe developer or heritage radio cheese product
1: was there uh, a contract to this or no it wasn't that so. involved? it was very like casual mm. and i took it as a compliment
2: yeah, there was part of me that was pissed because it would have been a really good byline if I could have said, "Oh, in uh, you know, Cheese Magazine quarterly in the mm-hmm. May of 2011 issue, that's me. I'm right there, I and know. I can put that." And it can't, but I know. And there yeah. was something reassuring about that. Like, I'm not going to see it this time, but I'm good enough to make it into that. Even it's, if they don't want to attach my name, it's a
1: great feeling. I mean, it's great to know that you know when your best friend is making your way of deviled eggs, you know, it's a, it's a good feeling. Right. And I was like, yeah. And now all these like Indiana housewives or, you know, Indiana moms are making this
2: particular thing like that's cool. And so you have to kind of decide where you're going to get your warm and fuzzy feelings from Right. now. I guess the question at hand is in terms of money and making a living and you're much closer to this world than I am warm and fuzzy feelings and feeling mm. good and established and, you know, good enough does not pay the rent. No. So is there, do you see from your perspective, is there money still to be made as a food writer? I met someone this weekend who wants to be a travel Instagram blogger.
1: Uh, yes, there is. Like, can you make money doing that? Uh, being an Instagram star is sort of like being the new, it's like the new, um, it's like the new writer almost. Or, I mean. Yeah. I'm just so old. Like, I don't have, I don't have any desire. <laughs> I'm
2: like, oh my God, that sounds exhausting. And uh, maybe like too easy. I don't know.
1: It's entirely possible. I mean, the, the world of media is shifting uh, by the minute. while well, as new tools, new media, new ways of expressing are, are coming up. Um, nobody has really figured out how to monetize, you know, writing and uh, in the digital age. Now that it, so many factors go into this, I can't even go on. But yes, this was also discussed at the Food Book Fair, too. I mean, it's, it's crunching, it's crunching publications, and especially writers. So, yeah, a lot of people are turning to being uh, Instagram stars or other sort of online celebrities of social media. How do you monetize being an Instagram oh, star? Oh, you sell out. That's exactly how you do it. You sell out. Yeah. yeah. Um, you. <laughs> I've heard of like very interesting like ways of of getting into that world of selling out because usually products and brands come to you like a flurry. Um, if you have a, even a modest following, and you know it happens to anyone who has a modest following, but also you can reach out. And I've I've heard of people reaching out to say restaurateurs and saying, "Hey, I have ten thousand followers." Is ten thousand
2: um, a modest following?
1: Um that's a good following. Okay. Yeah. Um it's not amazing, but it's it's good. It's pretty good. Okay. So so I've heard of somebody's, you know, saying to a restaurant, "Hey, I will promote your event um if you pay me whatever some for tweeting about it because I have 10,000 followers." So people are figuring out ways to to, you know, kind of get around here and navigate on their own. And what does the restaurant say? if they wanted to then then they get somebody who has 10,000 followers to to broadcast their event
2: i like the hustle
1: like mm-hmm. i appreciate the hustle a lot
2: it just feels so wild west to me and unstable and as someone who has like a kid and no retirement account i'm starting to crave some predictability
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's like
1: Well, it's really going hand-in-hand with where journalism and and other writing is going, whereas it's selling out. A lot of things are sponsored content now. And um, so I guess the other kinds of content creators, that's the way to monetize it, too. Advertising. Yeah.
2: And I guess, I I don't know, I'm hypercritical of that sort of thing because they have... And, you know, it should say there's a little yellow triangle that says sponsored on Google or sponsored on Yelp or whatever or promoted on Twitter. And I usually skip right past those things because I want I want the genuine, authentic experience. But I guess people are becoming better and better at, no, man, I got to pay the bills. And, you know, my husband and I joke like (laughs) when we see someone doing something like, oh, huh, like George Clooney on the Nespresso commercials. This is a good experience, a good example. Mm hmm. There's a Simpsons line where uh, Krusty the Clown is given an endorsement, gets an endorsement deal, and it's really antithetical to what Krusty the Clown is all about. And he turns to the camera and he says, "What did you want me to do? They drove a dump truck full of money up to my house." (laughs) (laughs) And so there are things that Mark and I will joke about, like, "What does a dump truck full of money look like? If it's McDonald's, Mm -hmm. if it's Smithfield ham,
1: if it's you know Heinz ketchup or whatever." Oh God, Smithfield ham. What's that? How big is that? How many dump trucks are we talking? I think that. People when you look at George Clooney and you think about him, nobody cares that he's that he was in whatever, I don't forget what commercial. I mean the Nespresso. Nes- yeah, yeah. Nobody thinks of that. Nobody minds him selling out for that. And, now here's and the there's interesting... a high tolerance, you know. Yeah. Um even Beyonce, remember she put herself on a Pepsi can. Now, nobody is faulting Beyonce for yeah. anything these and days. And Janelle
2: Monet is doing the Pepsi now, and they are auctioning off the dress that she wore in the Pepsi ad. Right.
1: And mm. yet there's something like... It's totally okay with everyone. Yeah.
2: I anyway. don't know. And I found out just to close the, the Nespresso, he uses that money to pay for the satellite that he personally funds that's over South Sudan. He does. And I was like, oh... Okay. (laughs) Like, like, that's okay. Like, that's, you know, that's his, uh, that's That's kind of, there's
1: something kind of cool about having a specific purpose for a certain campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. I thought so.
2: Um, okay. Well, listen, we have to take a quick break and when we come back, I want to talk about fun stuff, which is you just moderated a panel on food and fiction, which is a topic that I really, really love to talk about. Okay. And we'll be right back. All right.
0: Today's program was brought to you by Firesider. Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of Certified Organic Apple Cider Vinegar, firesider added whole raw Certified Organic Oranges, Lemons, Onions, Ginger, Horseradish, Habanero Pepper, Garlic, and Turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Firesider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Firesider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. the one and only dave arnold brings the noise to heritage radio network every tuesday on cooking issues coming to you live on the heritage radio network from Roberta's pizzeria in bushwick and Brooklyn. <laughs> if the bomb was gonna drop and you only had 15 minutes which is like i can i can make a sandwich in 15 minutes you would be eating a sandwich I, i'd kiss my wife make a sandwich if you believe that it's all about to be over why eat healthy I'm not a freaking Neanderthal, I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like, your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And is Some there- people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more Mile a Minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher.
2: Love some Dave Arnold on Heritage Radio Network. I like, it's like a jolt of caffeine. That was an explosion of Dave Arnold <laughs> on the radio. It is a, a, a jolt just listening to Dave. Okay, so back with Kathy Irway, host of Eat Your Words. You just hosted a panel on, at the uh, Food Book Fair about food and fiction. Yeah. Tell me about the food and fiction landscape right now because I love it.
1: It's something that is growing. And, you know, for this particular panel, um, the topics I wanted to cover were limited to the panelists I was able to get on. So we had three great panelists. If there were three other panelists, you know, the conversation could have gone a totally different way. Um, It's really exciting to see this uh, kind of uh, focus evolving in food. And obviously, like, food has always been around in you know, in descriptions here and there, less so much in the spotlight. So I feel like in the last couple of years or so, I've seen more and more books coming at me for this show or just coming across them that deal with uh, food in the spotlight. So for instance, you know, there was a first time novelist, um, Jay Ryan Stradal who published a highly acclaimed book, um, the great kitchens of the Midwest or the kitchens of the great Midwest, the <laughs> anyway, um, Kind of like more serious literary fiction. Um, the, the there's been others that are kind of more f- commercial fiction, um, sort of like women's fiction or genre. D-
2: that was one that I read last summer, and I cannot
1: mm. find the name of it. it I gave it. It's like baking kind of chronicles in fiction. Yeah, I've seen, and it was a little. Fluffy. fluffy, little chicklity. Yeah.
2: yeah, and it was like not for me because I like fluff. Like I, you know, I at the same time I was reading a trilogy of vampire, a vampire and a witch romance. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome because it was like brain candy, but really, really well written. Oh, nice. And this was, I was sort of reading it parallel and I was like, this could be really good, but it's just... <laughs> It's just too chicklity, and it's, yeah. like, too light and fluffy. Well,
1: was, uh, there was a really funny moment where one of my panelists, uh, Helen Ellis, who wrote American Housewife uh, short story collection, she, we were talking about, you know, does attaching a genre sort of stigmatize your work? Does it delineate the quality of it or something, um, if it were to be called food fiction? Um, and she said, I love genre. I love genre fiction. I'm reading mysteries. They're so good. It's nothing to be ashamed of at all. So, please. I- I think the one that I had an issue with was women's fiction. Mm.
2: And that as a genre to me really rubbed me the wrong way because I read the book. I got the press release. I got the book in the mail. I was like, this is new women's fiction. I was like, I don't think I've ever read something with this (laughs) genre title before. And I was like, Oh, Oh, women are so much smarter. And then we give them credit for, I think, um, (laughs) So That's tell another me their about- whole can of work. <laughs> well, like, and, I, and I didn't think it was the fault of the author. I felt like it was this idea that women's fiction was somehow, you know, like you wouldn't find right. Game of Thrones in the women's fiction, even though the majority of people who have read Game of Thrones are women.
1: I think it really has to do with like, who are you writing it for? And some people might really proudly come out and say, like, you know, I'm kind of writing it for a foodie o- or like a female audience. That's kind of what I w- had in mind and and then maybe you know that's the natural uh, label that so uh, how do people who are good at it tackle writing
2: about food in fiction without it coming across as kind of you know campy or
1: overly flourishy um (laughs) i don't know because i'm not really a fiction writer um I think that it's interesting to use food as um, a, a device in your fiction. And in the hands of a really capable writer, you can do all sorts of things to create you know, character and build um, tension, uh, set an atmosphere. And there's many examples throughout classic literature that, that do these things really well in fiction um, with food. But I, I think that, yeah, when... When we are talking about this topic of food in fiction, it has to go deeper than that, and it has to take as a more central uh, uh, plot device or um, you know place in the action of the book. So um, where food is almost like a character in itself, and it's uh, it's thematic. In an important, in an a por, I can't talk. In an important it. way <laughs> in the book.
2: So I would feel remiss not introducing my brother, who has not been prepared that he's going to be on air. But he is here because he had some time to kill in Brooklyn. He has hosted Sharp Hot before. He is also a fiction writer. So I would feel like I've missed an opportunity if I don't ask you, Joey. Uh, Does food play a role in you as a plot device or as something that you consider in your writing because you're working on...
3: Hi, big uh, themes. <laughs> You're working on big themes. <laughs> this was not planned. Um, no, I don't think it necessarily you know, plays in a theme or necessarily um, big plot ideas. But I think that writers who write food well are working with an asset that a lot of writers don't competently have. And that's important. You know, I think that it can lend itself to strength and structure. And I'm actually reading a really great book right now on literary – Fiction. Um, John Gardner's *The Art of Fiction*, which is a major, major work for liter- students of creative writing, but he talks about how you know in stronger works of fiction that everything really plays a role, and there are no you know there are no loose ends, and that if you're not serious about this, you're not serious about this. So find something else to do with your life. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what
2: people, I tell people they say, "Should I go to culinary school?" I'm like, "Could you do some? Could you do anything else?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah." I was like, "Then don't go to like you do that. That's the only thing you can do." And I think writing is sort of similar. Yeah, do it and, because you have to do it.
1: Yeah,
3: I think that with food, you know, especially it's it is absolutely an asset if you're a food writer. And what you guys had mentioned just a moment ago, um, with fluff and fluff writing, sure, you could write about food, you could be a food, you know, blogger, you could be a food, anything, and just write about your experience with the food. If you want it to lend itself to the strength of work to influence character to do all these things, then that all depends on how you set your scenes, what you're trying to achieve. And really, when you're creating a world that in fiction exists where the stakes are as high as reality, if not higher, then you really have to take into account everything that's going on. Because you two having this conversation right here on the radio, if this is taking place in fiction, it's no different than if it's taking place and I'm watching this. So to sit from a third-person omniscient perspective, I have to be able to sort of be able to gauge what it is emotionally that you guys are balancing against each other, not against in a contra sort of way, but in in just the scene itself. And if food plays a role in that, well, then how does it affect what's going on in nuance and emotion and character development that's driving your plot structure forward? Kathy,
1: go ahead. No, I mean, I think that it's interesting when you when you see food being used in this context, because it could be like a lot of writers could write about and have something else total. Like, I don't know, running, say like that could be like the main kind of plot driver or something else that shows about character. But um, food is, you know, it could play that role as well. But everybody eats. So, like, there's something really unifying and universal about it in a way that, like, a book about golf or, I don't know, p- uh, no, pizza is food. Um, I'm looking at other <laughs> things, like, you know, a book about people who uh, vacation in the Bahamas or something like that. Like, it's not as omnipresent as food.
2: Maybe we should do a book of short stories of who, what we think the people who sit at our front seat window here are. Uh, I'm just
1: like mesmerized, mesmerized, always watching these people eat. That's I've lobbied.
2: Great. I've lobbied to put a webcam here. <laughs> we've we've made a leap that the the listeners may not have followed us on. If you haven't listened to the show before, right in front of the there's a big window cut in the side of the shipping container that houses our radio station, and right on the other side of the pane of glass is a table, and. I've seen romance, I've seen crying, I've seen seen real estate leases being signed, and I I think that these people are fascinating because they by and large don't notice that we are here even though there's just a piece of glass between us. They're fascinating.
1: They don't see the romance going on right here and the heartbreak. No, it's true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So is there a piece of uh, food fiction that you could recommend for some spring reading, maybe from that panel?
1: Yeah, I think all of them are great. Um, so just out in a couple weeks is Stephanie Danler's Sweet Bitter, really cool novel. Um, we had on my show uh, another novel, novelist Jessica Tom, who was on that panel. Her book is called uh, Food Whore. And um, a really fun book of short stories by Helen Ellis. It's American Housewife. That's um, Yeah, they're all really great in different ways And also, if I may plug We're going to show the whole panel um, Show it We're going to play it So if you just head over to Eat Your Words um, That little show page on Heritage You can listen to that panel And when can people hear your show? Um, Sundays And available on iTunes as a podcast Of course
2: And you are Kathy Irway on Instagram and Twitter Yeah Awesome, and Joey, thank you for chiming in Without any preparation at all. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks I didn't think I,
2: I didn't think we were going to. Otherwise, if I knew so we were going to go there,
1: I would have. You just like pulled the fiction writer out of the back of your <laughs> pocket. I, I like, just carry with him. In okay. my, I carry him in my backpack when I need him.
2: <laughs> Thank you to David for engineering the show and Malcolm in the booth. Uh, I believe I, look, I'm nervous about promoing my guest for next week. I believe it's going to be Judy Jew, who is going to be here today. I believe so, but. Could be anybody. Could be Kathy or away again. <laughs> if you're available to jump in. Thank you so much, Kathy, for coming on the show. I truly, truly appreciate your insight and your intelligence
1: and knowledge. Thank you so much, Emily. Anything, else you, wanna,
2: anything else you want to tell us that you're doing in your world um, that you can
1: plug? Uh, no. Just follow me on Twitter. Cool.
2: Yeah. I'm Chef Emily P on Twitter and Instagram. I am officially on summer vacation until I say yes to something else, which every, even as I say that I know what my calendar looks like and it does not look like that of a person on vacation, but thank you so much to my students. Congratulations to the ones who are graduating at Yankee stadium, which is where NYU's graduation is. I am not envious of those parents. Hopefully it'll be a nice cool spring day until next week, everybody. Thank you so much and keep playing with fire and knives.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio.